All right. We are doing Monday's portion. This week it is a combined Parsha, as is most of the time the case. The Yako is very short. The Kode is very short. So with the exception of a leap year, they generally are together. But what is happening in general in this portion? Well, if we go backwards in time, and of course the Torah does not have to be chronological, and it's not if there's a reason for it not to be. We had Yisro, which was a portion of the giving of the Torah, and Mishpatim, which gave the laws, so to speak, from Sinai, and then at the end went back to what happened right after the giving of the Torah. And then the following portion, Truma, jumps until directly after Yom Kippur, meaning from the giving of the Torah on the 6th of Sivan, we have Moshe and Moses, 40 days and 40 nights in heaven, coming down, seeing the sin of the golden calf, dealing with it, going back up to plead with God for another 40 days and 40 nights, coming back down, going back up for another 40 days and 40 nights, which culminated with Yom Kippur, the first time that Yom Kippur we saw its energy where God said, I forgive them, and now come back down, and I'm even closer than ever before. Create for me a home on this world that I can be with my people. And that's what we have starting in Parsha's Truma after God's forgiveness, these are all the commands about the home, which is the portion of Teruma and the portion of Titzavah. Then in Kisisa, in a sense we go back in time to what happened between the end of Mishpatim and Truma, which was the sin of the golden calf, and Moses is pleading with God. Now in Vayakel and Pekude, we're going back to post-Truma Titzavah, after Yom Kippur, when God commanded Moses Moshe, all of the laws concerning the building of the tabernacle. And now we're talking about the Jews' fulfillment of that. Moses gave them the laws, and this is now their fulfillment. They're donating all of these treasures. They're creating the structure of the tabernacle, all the precious vessels, all of the details. And then in Pekude, the accounting of everything that was dedicated for the tabernacle, which is why... In Vayakel and in Pekude, we don't have too many explanations of Rashi, especially in Vayakel when we're dealing with all of these items that we already explained when they were commanded in Shurim and Tetzava. So today we are holding in chapter 35, and we are beginning with verse 30. And again, since it is a combined portion, we're going to go through several of what on a leap year probably will be split into two separate portions of the Yaakov separately and Pekude separately, but again, because there's almost no Rashi, so it goes very quickly. Moses said to the children of Israel, See, God has proclaimed by name Betzalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hor, of the tribe of Judah, Yehuda. So Rashi says Hor is the son of Miriam. And of course, we have encountered Hor in the previous portion. Rashi alluded to him, and of course in the verses. It was clearly said that when Moshe, when Moses went up for his first round of 40 days and 40 nights, he said to the people, I'm going to be gone, and here are the two leaders in my absence, Aaron, the high priest, my brother, and Hor, who was actually his nephew, Miriam's son. And Hor died, because we could say sanctifying God's name, because he protested the people's wanting to make the golden calf, or they didn't even know what they wanted to make, but something that would be some type of physical, idolatrous something. 
as a middleman between them and God, which he gave his life for. So why is Hor being mentioned here? And why he's being identified by Rashi? Oh, he's the son of Miriam. What are we bringing him out here? Why do we need this? Because the question is, why do we have Betalel's grandfather's name? Usually if the Torah is identifying someone, they say their father's name. That's how we know who they are in the structure of the families and their tribe. But in this case, because Hor was such a special person, as we're giving here his lineage, the son of Miriam, and of course, everything we know about him, it was worth mentioning him. And again, we're reinforcing this vision of Betzalel as coming from a very, very illustrious line, which we're going to see is in a sense brought as a contrast to Aaliyah. He filled him with godly spirit, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and with every craft to make artistic designs, to work with the gold, with the silver, and with the copper. Lapidary work for filling and wood carving to every artistic craft. He gave him the ability to teach him and Aaliyah, the son of Achisamach, of the tribe of Dun. So Rashi says, so that's also very significant, because Dun was considered one of the lower tribes, because it was a tribe that originally stemmed not from the mothers, the matriarchs, Rachel and Leah, but from the maidservants that were given to Yaakov to produce children, and did so. And of course, we of course nowadays view all the 12 tribes equally. But we go back to more of the origins the ones that came from the four from the maidservants, of which Dunn was one, were viewed as a little bit less. So here we have Dunn, that on a certain level is viewed as less. And then here we have Betzalel, who's from the most illustrious tribe, Judah, and from within Judah, from such an illustrious line. And God did this deliberately to show that, look, in my eyes, they're both absolutely equal. The most illustrious line from the most illustrious tribe and someone from a very relatively low tribe, by me, they're both the same. And together, they're going to spearhead this most significant project, building my home. He filled them with the wisdom of the heart to do every work of the craftsman, the artist, the embroiderer, with the turquoise wool, with the purple wool, with the scarlet wool, with the linen, and the weaver, those who perform every labor, and those who make artistic designs. But so shall do with Aaliyah and with every wise-hearted man with whom God has put wisdom and understanding to know to all the work for the labor of the sanctuary of all that God has commanded. Moses called for Betzalel and for Eliab and for every wise-hearted man with whom, within whose heart God had put wisdom, everyone whose heart inspired him to approach the work to do it. Amazing, in those days, they were really serving God as artists, as craftsmen, with their hands, and within their hands, expressing their wisdom and their heart. They took from before Moses the entire portion that the children of Israel had brought for the work for the labor of the sanctuary, to do it, but they brought to him additional free will gifts every morning. So this is already, we're saying, as we said yesterday and Sunday, that the people gave and gave and gave more and more and more beyond what was ever being asked. All the wise people came, those performing all the works of the sanctuary, every man for it, from his work that they were doing. They said to Moses as follows, the people exceeded in bringing more than the labor of the work that God has commanded to perform. Which Rashi explains means they brought more than necessary for the labor. Like, you know, we don't need very unusual situation when you say we don't need donations. Well, we don't need donations. Moses commanded, and they proclaimed to the camp, saying, Man and woman shall not do more work toward the portion of the sanctuary. And the nation was held back from bringing. So what this means is they were, as Rashi said, they were restrained because they wanted to bring more. It's interesting. It says here, man and woman, but just, of course, to point out that yesterday it clearly said, the women were the ones that came before the men in bringing, and you know, the women ran ahead. These same women 
who wouldn't take off their gold for the idol, and not one woman sinned with the golden calf, but these women ran ahead of the men to give all of their gold for the sanctuary. And the work was sufficient for them for all the work to do it and having a surplus. Meaning the work, what work are we talking about here? They didn't do the work yet. So it means the work, Rashi says, of bringing the work of donating was sufficient for all the work needed to create everything for the tabernacle, plus a surplus and having a surplus, which Rashi shows is an infinitive. The wise-hearted among those doing the work made the tabernacle spread, ten panels of twisted linen, turquoise wool, and purple wool, and scarlet wool. They made them the work of an artist, the Keruvim, the length of one panel, 28 amos, again an amma being like a foot and a half, as we said before, and the width, four amos for each panel, one measure for all the panels. Now here we're just going to read many verses that describe all of these things they made because we already were explained them in the portion of Truman Tetzava when God commanded with very long, intricate Rashi's there what all this means. Now, officially, we know. We have no questions, so we're just reading it straight. He attached five panels one to the other, and five curtains he attached one to the other. He made loops of turquoise wool on the edge of one panel at the end of one grouping, so he did at the edge of the outermost panel on the second grouping. He made 50 loops on the one panel, and 50 loops he made at the end of the panel that was on the second grouping, and the loops opposite each other. He made 50 golden hooks and attached the panels one to the other with the hooks, so the tabernacle spread became one. He made the panels of goat hairs for a tent spread over the tabernacle spread. Right, so first we have the woven very artistically crafted the wool from all these materials, and then over that is a goat's hair. He made them 11 panels. The length of one panel is 30 amas, the width four amas for one panel, one measure for 11 panels. He attached five panels separately and six panels separately. He made 50 loops on the edge of the outermost panel of the grouping, and 50 loops made on the edge of the panel of the second set. He made 50 copper hoops, hooks to attach the tent spread, so it will be one. Now over this, or... Again, as Rashi said, either over this we have the ram skins and then the tachash skins, or perhaps the next bed was half ram skins, half tachash skins. Tachash was, as Rashi told us, a special animal that doesn't exist now, but existed then literally for the beauty of the tabernacle. He made a covering for the tent spread of red-dyed ram skins and a cover of tachash skins above. He made the beams for the tabernacle of shittim wood, standing erect. Shittim wood, of course, shittim is a root word, shtus, folly, that this wood is transforming the, the folly of this world, lower than intellect, transforming that to make our service of God not intellect, but beyond intellect. So he made the beams for the mission of shittim wood, standing erect, ten amas the height of the beam, and a half its width. I'm sorry, no, that is not correct. And an arm and a half, the width of each beam. Two tenons for each beam, rung-like, one to the other, so did he make for all the beams of the tabernacle. He made the beams for the tabernacle, 20 beams for the southern side. He made 40 silver sockets under the 20 beams. Two sockets under one beam for two tenons, and two sockets under the next beam for two tenons. And for the second side of the tabernacle on its north side, he made 20 beams. There are 40 silver sockets, two sockets under one beam, and two sockets under the next beam. And for the side of the tabernacle at the back, on the west, he made six beams. He made two beams for the corners of the tabernacle at the back. They were fitted together at the bottom, and together they were matching at the top by the single ring, so we did for the two of them for the two corners. 
There were eight beams and their silver sockets, 16 sockets, two sockets, two sockets under each beam. He made bars of shechem wood, five for the beams of one side of the tabernacle, and five for the beams of the second side, and five bars for the beams of the tabernacle at the back on the west. He made the middle bar to extend within the beams from end to end, if you remember that concept, that we have the middle bar that goes not on the outside, but actually on the inside within the planks of wood to pierce through everything at its center point, which has a lot of symbolic, Hasidic and Kabbalistic meaning as that center point, that point of truth, which pierces through all levels. He covered the beams with gold and made the rings of gold as housings for the bars, and he covered the bars with gold. He made a parochus of turquoise wool and purple wool and scarlet wool and twisted linen. He made it the work of an artist, Kruven. He made for it four pillars of sheet and wood and covered them with gold, their hooks of gold, and he poured for them four silver sockets. He made a screen for the entrance of the tent of turquoise wool and purple wool and scarlet wool and twisted linen, the work of an embroiderer, and its five pillars with their hooks, and he covered their tops and their belts with gold and their five copper sockets. But Salo made the ark of sheet and wood, two and a half amas its length, an am and a half its width, and an am and a half its height. Now Rashi comments here, that, wait a minute, what do you mean B'tzalo? This was a whole group of people we were told that was doing this. But why are we crediting it all to B'tzalo? Because he really devoted himself to this. He was working with a team of people. But the passage is attributing it to him himself because of his absolute devotion to this work. He covered it with pure gold from inside and from outside, and he made for it a golden crown all around. He poured for it four golden rings on its four corners, two rings on its one side, and two rings on its second side. He made poles of sheet and wood and covered them with gold. He inserted the poles and the rings on the sides of the ark to carry the ark. He made a lid of pure gold, two and a half amas its length and an am and a half its width. He made two kruvim of gold, beaten out did he make them for the two ends from the two ends of the lid. One kruv from this end and one kruv from this end. From the lid did he make the kruvim from its two ends. The Kruvim were with wings spread upward, sheltering the lid with their wings, their faces toward one another, toward the lid were the face of the Kruvim. He made the table of sheet and wood, two amas its length, an amma its width, and an amma and a half its height. He covered it with pure gold and made for it a golden crown all around. He made for it a frame of one tefach all around. He made a golden crown for its frame all around. He poured for it four golden rings and put the rings on the four corners of its four legs. The rings were opposite the frame for housing for the poles to carry the table. He made the poles of sheet and wood and covered them with gold to carry the table. He made the implements that were on the table, its dishes, its spoons, its supports, its tubes with which it was covered of pure gold. And that is Monday's portion, which is actually on a not leap year, would have been Mondays and Tuesdays and Wednesdays and Thursdays. And you can see how short it is because even this was very short. As I was going through these verses, I was just remembering because it was fairly recently learning, and part of it, of course, teaching these verses and these concepts, which were so complicated. But now Rashi's saying, well, you know it all, so we don't have any questions, and that's why we can just fly through it. And hopefully, as you hear it, as I was thinking, as I was reading it, remembering all of Rashi's comments that he told us then, that this all makes a lot of sense for us now. <laughs> 